1: You are listening to Claret and Blue, an Aston Villa podcast brought to you by Birmingham Live.
0: Hello and welcome back to the Claret and Blue podcast. Today we've got a special Q&A episode. We're back to chat some usual nonsense. But we've also got some actual football-related questions to talk about. So with football coming back in, what, what is it, five, six days, it's time that we start talking about current day Aston Villa again. So Matt, James, are you ready to go through some audience questions? Most of them are football related and there's a couple of usual silly ones in there as well. So we'll get started with the first question, which is, is there any chance that Dean Smith will change the formation to play two strikers up top and number nine always seems too isolated? That's from Adrian.
2: I'm going to say, A, we're not going to know until the first game, but B, until it's actually played. And uh, we see how they're lining up in attack and defence. Can I answer every question like that? <laughs> <laughs> it's probably going to be point. It's probably going to be pointless um, because the way Villa have played all season is with three forwards. You know, you got two, whip, two inside forwards and a striker, and. You know, maybe across the whole season I'd have said play two strikers because on average Villa might have done better like that but you, you've got a, a stretch of 10 essentially smash and grab fixtures where Villa need to win out and I, I'd go with the formation they've been the most comfortable playing with um, in training and that's um, the 4 kind of variant that they're using. So I don't think so. Uh, it, it would be a massive difference, wouldn't it?
0: it? It does feel like the start of a new season again. So you kind of do think or maybe they've experimented with things over the, the time away but obviously there's only been what is it two or three weeks of actual training as, as a squad again? So, whether you can do too many actual changes to formation and lineup in that time, I'm not sure. But it's difficult, isn't it? How, how much can Villa have actually changed in the kind of eight weeks of self isolation in a squad game? How, how could they have done that? Yeah, you can look at set pieces and and video clips and keeping your individual fitness up but besides that what you know what more can you do as a squad I, I don't think we'll see radical changes to formation and personnel and things like that I just hope that there's a bit more fight and desire from from the from the boys this time around
1: You've got to have a look at what's been what's been big Villa's biggest issue and I don't think scoring goals has actually been the biggest issue I think they've Listen, we always want to score more goals, but I think it's keeping them out at the other end that, that, that yeah. is the the biggest concern for me. Now, I admit that you're not just going to play with the second striker only for the for the scoring goals. You want to get the ball to stick up front and give give that overworked defence a bit of respite. But I'd be inclined to agree with with you guys that if you're going to make wholesale changes to the way the team's set up at more Heath in which the players have only recently been allowed to return to full contact training um, and a couple of a couple of behind closed doors uh, friendly matches, I don't think those are really going to give you a great deal of scope to start ripping up the rule book and starting yeah, again. So yeah. I think Dean Smith will just be trying. Having used all his, um, his Zoom calls and his, his virtual coaching from afar, I think he'll just be kind of reminding people that the jobs that they were, that were set out for them way back in July, uh, they've just got to all do
2: them better. Like I'm thinking here that if over this ten game stretch, I'm I'm not really looking at like tactics because you know you look at the Bundesliga and all the teams that were kind of doing all right. Some of them have fallen completely off. I mean, Schalke kind of just dropped four games on the bounce. This list you bring up in a, a new, a completely new circumstances, so form doesn't really matter. I'm not even sure tactics in general will have like that much effect you're looking more at how you know the player roles and how how much cohesion there is and how ready the team is on day one um, more so than These kind of little formation adjustments, yeah, in a regular season, may have a massive impact. But this is like a brand new world, basically, isn't it?
1: I think the fitness is going to be going to be so so important because you're going to find out quickly who's been at the biscuit jar, aren't you? During (laughs) during lockdown, because they've been expected to. Reach them. And it's weird because the back end of the season would normally be, you'd probably, if you're talking to the Martin O'Neill area, you'd be talking about Villa kind of crumpling because of fa- fatigue. But now you haven't got that. You've got people kind of whose fitness issues are going to be that match sharpness. It's really interesting asking people to play a full pelt for a real consequence uh, when they've been kind of, you know, lying dormant for the last the last couple of months. And if you imagine this, if you imagine this was a normal pre-season, Villa or any of the rivals would probably have played up to eight to ten pre-season matches. But we're almost thinking Villa's first three Premier League fixtures may be at the level of fitness that they're normally playing away at
0: Kidderminster Harriers with. Do you think that... Potentially suits or so, because surely the clubs that we're playing against are all in the same position. It's not like we've had a bad preseason. Everyone has not, you know, every team we play will be lacking that match that match sharpness. Is that a does that kind of level the playing field a little bit? I suppose
1: this is where your own um, conditioning team earn their money, don't they? Um, yeah, to try and make sure the drills that they've done uh, and those kind of individual plans that people have been asked to do on their own treadmills. To make sure that, that that they've got the edge over the over the rivals
2: did Smith call them a a, a train said those was training ground players right in you know, a criticism I think like that's why I say maybe conditioning and the 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 player roles that have may be more important than a specific formation because you know, if this are training ground players in the team, that can't turn up here because of the atmosphere. There's going to be no atmosphere, and if they're good on the training ground, these are essentially what ten really intense training matches that are going to be watched by the entire world, <laughs> but we have no one actually there. So yeah, it's going to be mad guys, like seriously crazy. All
0: right, question two. Hopefully, in a little bit less time than nine minutes. Um, <laughs> i was going to be here all day. Second question, who's your pick to come out of the blocks and surprise us all? This is from Mark. So an obvious answer is John McGinn coming back. is going to have a massive impact, but that's too easy of an answer. Who, who's going to come out and, and be a real kind of difference maker for Villa?
2: I don't know if it's going to come true, but I hope that it's Anwar Algarza, who's been pretty, pretty good. Um, and he's come in for a lot of flack. Some of it, Leroy, some of it quite unfair. Um, I, I know people get quite militant about, either attacking Al Ghazi or defending him, which means like he's a player that does definitely split opinion. But he's got it, man. And um, if Villa are to succeed, they need to stop rotating on the wings and trying to pick between Al Ghazi and Trezeguet, who's the actual option. But I think like, Al Ghazi's got it in him to claim that spot and be a real difference
1: maker in his 10 games. I think it's going to be Neil Taylor. I think I think Matt Target I think Matt Target is going to be dropped for crimes against Alice Bands, and I think Neil Taylor is going to storm in and without the pressure of the crowd on his back he's going to um, emulate his compatriot Gareth Bale become a flying left back left wing back and save the season um, or. Failing that, I think I think it's a real time for for one of the defensive midfielders, whoever it may be. Probably won't be Danny Drinkwater, but whether it is Miles um, and Camber or um, Douglas Louise, that back four needs protecting. And I think that it's time for one of them to not to give to to, to remove Dean Smith's option of rotating them and to say. Yeah. I'm gonna nail this down. I, listen, I know I'm, I'm hedging my bets by saying one or the other, but I think it's important that that one of those comes in. Um, well, I mean, what, what what we're looking at for the midfield, you're gonna have you're gonna have obviously McGinn back in, which to me probably means that Conor Hurahan is not gonna get a look in, um, or certainly not you know for until eighty nine and a half minutes when McGinn starts to tire. Um, but I do think we've got, somebody's got to own that role as a protection blanket in front of the in front of the back four because it's a relegation scrap. It's not going to be free flowing five five four victories. It's going to be Villa are going to have to keep it tight, start keeping clean sheets, um, and then I hope they can do something at the other end of the pitch.
2: Yeah, I think the right answer really regardless of what we think is we need it to be Danny Drinkwater who comes back and impresses everyone because he's got off to an awful start and like it's an expensive loan deal in a really important position for Villa so if Villa are going to get anything out of him he has to come back and do a lot better
0: right question number three let's move on a nonsense one the first of the episode half-time grub what are you going for on the first match day this is from Dom it's weird isn't it because I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to go for a, a pucker pie and above rule from the kitchen so what what do you do Oh yeah, for three course meal, Seeing as you sat at home, this
2: one caught me out. <laughs> this one really caught me out because I was thinking, like, did people? I forgot people eat at halftime. I forgot those the, the concessions because I, I remember watching the last match against Leicester at halftime and just sat there in silence, just looking <laughs> at the floor. <laughs>
1: like, <laughs> <laughs> did, did people eat at halftime? Yeah, yeah, they must do. There must be more than depression. I will tell you what, I'll probably be eating. So I'm trying. I'm trying to lose weight at the moment because I've um. <sighs> the lockdown and the lack of exercise put some
0: lockdown pounds yeah
1: on. Put, I've put a, I saw somebody tweet the other day saying it's amazing how much my hair weighs um, not my hair their hair uh, saying they've put on about half a stone by not having their hair cut um, I can't get by with that excuse I've put on about half a stone by just being a bit of a fat lazy idiot um so I would probably be eating carrot sticks and hummus. Uh, what I would what I would <laughs> want to be snack, eating. Man. What I would want to be eating. Do you remember you know at buffets when you get those kind of little kind of they're kind of like mini cheddar in flavor but they're all different shapes. You got like little diamond shapes. So it's like a, it's like a snack mix. I'd quite like some of that cuz it's so kind of moorish in it
2: it is but it's also like the lowest bar possible like this is a complete fantasy you can have anything you want Matt you don't have to <laughs> yeah.
1: you don't have to go shopping off like the Aston 99B section man I'm trying to keep up my this this persona of me as being man of the people I don't want to let people know that really I'm kind of lick, licking caviar off a kind of high high cost <laughs> you know, off the body body parts of a high end escort. <laughs> that's a massive jump yeah this little
2: pick and mix to like the the elite food of carrots and hummus which is just at the same
0: level Matt next question if we stay up after this 10 game running will it be a bigger feat than promotion last season given the level of opposition pressure squad implications etc this is from Ross it is a big it would be a big achievement to stay up but it's not like we're doomed at the moment we were even in Norwich's position and a few points adrift, I think staying up from that position would be a, a massive achievement, and it, it still would be big if Villa do stay up from where they are at the moment. But where we were last year in terms of promotion, when we put that ten game winning run together, that was we were down and out at that point. So I think I don't think you can kind of beat the feat from last year.
1: Listen, the, the way they won the promotion, kind of snatched promotion from the jaws of mid-table um, mediocrity last season, was an astonishing achievement in its own right. But Aston Villa still had the the squad that was expected to be amongst the top teams in the championship. Whereas, although we kind of all got a little bit seduced and excited by the spending spree last summer, they still spent it on a whole team full of untried and untested Premier League players. So, for if Dean Smith could mold, could have you know, given the way the season's panned out, if if it, if it happens that if it transpires that Dean Smith has molded that bunch of you know kind of Premier League newcomers into a team that can grow and be improved for a second season in the Premier League, I think it's impressive given what we saw back in 2015 16 when we shared similar excitement that summer and then saw us already kind of cut adrift and virtually relegated by New Year anyway. I think it would be, I think it would be, especially given the fact that it's just such a strange, such, such strange circumstances. It's kind of winner takes it all now, isn't it?
2: Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd say the same thing, um, considering how the season's folded out. Um, before all this happened, I'd, I'd have probably disagreed with myself. But this is different. Like it, It's like a 10-game mini tournament where Villa are in the bottom and they have to win. Um, it's not like a sad slide, is it, anymore? It's like, it's a relegation. It's like, now it's a tournament. And if you win, you win big and you stay in the Premier League. So, um, yeah, I agree Matt.
0: Uh, I love the, the name of the guy that sent this in. His, his Twitter name was Tentin Quarantino. It's just made me laugh. Pretty much the, re- the, the his name is the reason he's got in, to be fair. But he's basically asking, is, do you think the gap in play and it being behind closed doors will be a, a benefit or will be a hindrance to Aston Villa? Impossible to say, isn't it, really? We are literally just guessing at this point, having not even seen a single football game in this situation yet, like an actual competitive game. I think we'll probably know a little bit more on Wednesday night. And it's kind of nice that Villa are the first game back as well. Not in terms of footballing ability, but we kind of get to set the standard a little bit in terms of, it's all eyes on Villa. What is it like playing a Premier League game behind closed doors? It's at it's at Villa Park as well. Like, how do we handle that situation? You know, everyone's watching Villa, so yes, there's some pressure there. But you almost think, if you know, if you're one of the Villa players, you'd be thinking, oh, let's let's put on a show here. It's all eyes on us. Let's show let's show everyone that we're capable of staying in this league. That could be a massive lift for the, for the remaining nine games for Villa. And then if things do Or go south in that the season can't continue and we have to end on points per game like everybody else, us winning this game in hand is massive.
1: Regardless of whether Aston Villa get the results Sustain the Premier League. I think playing behind closed doors is a hindrance to Aston Villa and a hindrance to every football club because football clubs aren't just eleven players or however many subs you're allowed nowadays as well. Football football clubs are fan bases, and I still, as much as I can understand, the financial needs and and the needs for the. Um, you know, for the competition to be completed, it still leaves, it still doesn't sit right with me. Football being played, played behind closed doors, it kind of almost feels a little bit pointless. So I hope Villa has still got enough about them to get the points that keep them in the Premier League for next season. So that Aston Villa can be a Premier League club football, football fans and all next season. Cause as much as the novelty value and, and the surreal nature of it, it's going to be fascinating for a couple of weeks. I'd rather be sat in the Trinity road stand than I would sat in a, Sat in my, my armchair, uh, even if the cue for the losers is a bit less in our
2: head. All the focus is on Villa. I mean, there's a lot of talk about how Man City Arsenal's the big one, but Villa come first. That's the first game. It, it, you know, it's been treated up it, a bit like a warm-up act uh, for Arsenal, uh, Man City, which I don't think is uh, very fair at all. But the actual question, whether it be a help or hindrance, I don't really... We, we're not going to know. Um, it could be a help because you get a rest. There's a big rest between the last two games. Villa can reset, readjust and uh, adapt to everything that's happened. Or it could be a hindrance. They could have lost any semblance of cohesion or form that they may have had heading into this. And it you know, it didn't really look like they had that much, to be fair, though. Uh, so it could be a bit of both.
0: Next question from Steve. He says, will the first games make or break our end of season if we only manage to get a couple of points, or will we still be in it till the end?
1: I think for confidence, for conf- confidence purposes, he's gonna. You know, you want to, you want to uh, get some, get some positive momentum going. Yeah. But again, it, it's this, it's this thing with with no crowd. You know, kind of if if Villa lost the the first three games, the next game after that they played at Villa Park, the crowd would be edgy, and if somebody gave the ball away after five minutes. You know, you could you could Four feel the atmosphere long. turning. <laughs> you, yeah, but you're not going to get that, are you? You're not, you're not going to get that. I think. Um, I think it is important to get to get to hit your stride because the games although James says you've had a long rest you've had three months without football you've now got bang 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 so if you if you've lost a couple of games and you've got to get yourself fresh and ready for the next one you know there's going to be a few people who think nah, nah, I'm not I'm not I'm not feeling this one gaffer I don't you know they're, they're, those seven stewards I don't want I don't want to run out and I don't want to let them down again <laughs> next week you know put somebody else in uh, I don't think it's make or break, but it's, it's, it's important and it's important to get off to a bright start.
0: If, we, if we're expecting, obviously, the, the the remaining 10 games to be finished, then, yeah, obviously losing the first two isn't is isn't the be-all and end-all. But if the season currently you know, comes to a halt again and they say, right, that's the end of it, we're going to have to stop it, and you've lost those first three, it obviously is make or break then. Whereas if you'd won those first three, you probably would be seeing yourself safe. So I think you just have to treat it as every game is must-win and hope that whatever you do is actually enough.
1: You're right, because if they scrap the season next Thursday after those two outstanding fixtures have been played with Villa, Villa Sheffield United and, and, and Arsenal Man City, then you're right. <laughs> you, need, you need to win that first one, because that levels everybody up to the same amount of games, I think, doesn't it?
2: If you're looking at this next this time next week, and Villa have got, what, one point out of those three games, I'd be significantly concerned about any promotion, um, any survival prospects like genuinely you got to win the, you have to win the Sheffield United game I think because like you said if the season's cancelled like this weekend before we play Chelsea then we're in a massive problem aren't we if we're going down based on literally the, the result of that game so I think Villa's got to treat the, every fixture like it's a must win absolutely
0: Callum O'Hare do we need him Ask Matt, your thoughts, please. I don't think we need him, but I don't think we're going to have the choice of getting to keep him anyway. I think it's uh, the way he was dancing around, celebrating promotion. I think he's probably going to be a Coventry City player before the end of the week at this rate.
2: It all fits in. He can't speak into another club until 24th of June. So he's got like two weeks with Villa. Whether they're going to call him for training like Jacob Ramsey, I'm not sure. Like The, the, the contract hasn't been organised Callum O'Hare wants first team football. He's probably not going to get it out of Villa. He played 60, 70% of um, Coventry's minutes this season. That's first team football. He's going to get that in the championship. And uh, even if Villa were relegated, he probably wouldn't get it with us in the championship. So, you know, he's going to go. I'm
1: a bit disappointed that, that it hasn't been resolved until now that there's not been any contracts, any contract talks or any contract developments with him, which probably tells you, Tells you all all, all, all that you need to know. Really, if Villa were that keen to tie Calamo hair down, it would have been a done deal by now. I think it probably makes sense for Calamo hair with Coventry now being a Championship club. It's a you know it's a bigger and better opportunity all of a sudden than it would, than it would be to go and rebuild your career in, in, in League One. You've already got a lot of credit in the bank. Um, down there for for his part in their in their promotion season. It cut a little a little piece of me dice when one of our Academy prospects has to go elsewhere more because we had a good natter with mark Brighton um you know a couple of weeks ago if you want to plug that one down i just think ah, if only if only um but i suppose if he's any good you know they can sign him back from coventry for 10 million quid can't they in a couple of years
2: what really annoys me with the Calamo hair thing is, like you said matt like it weren't sorted out ages ago it's the fact that villa don't benefit from any of these academy graduates like that earn that you know, Villas Academy is quite successful if you look at it because how many players that have come through the ranks, maybe not broken into the first team, but are earning a wage in football, even, you know, your Nathan D'Alfonso's. Oh, Villa aren't earning any money off these players. They're, they're not getting any benefit from them. They're going elsewhere.
1: How old is he though, James? Will, he, will they get a bit of
2: compo for him? He's 20, he's the same age as Douglas Louise, so it's not even, he's young, very young. He's a youngster in terms of football, but it's like... He's not a kid though, is Douglas he? Douglas Luiz, he's playing for the... Yeah, it's 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 tricky because Villa sat on these players for so... They've left them for so long. And you got Keenan Davis, who's around the same age, I think, who hasn't really had the, the first team chance and there's been the injuries but that now that one's going to come up isn't it in the next year so I'm going to have it all over again I think
0: uh, next question specifically for you Matt you'll be pleased to know you get a little bit of air time for once uh, Holly says what's your what's your favourite IPA uh,
1: I'm just drinking the Punk IPA I've not got I'm not I'm not rocking one today I've not got one because we've be recording this in the middle of the day I quite like it because it cause it, um, it packs it packs a bit of a punch um I'll drink anything, me. To be honest, I'm just I'm I'm, I'm actually yearning for um, a trip to the old joint stock. Um, oh nice. As soon as lockdown's eased enough to get us to the pub. Um uh, so Holly, I'll drink anything. Just get anything, buy me anything, I'll drink anything. I don't
0: think she's offering to buy you a drink here. Let,
1: let an old man down gently. I thought me and Holly were going for a drink, we're fine. Oh
0: god. We <laughs> <lot> of- <laughs> Next question, probably one that isn't for you, Max. It's talking about hair. Jake says Would you rather have Tyrone Ming's current hair or Douglas Louise's first haircut when he came for the leather dreads or whatever they were? This is one for you, James, I reckon.
2: Uh, Tyrone Ming's. Oh, absolutely. Douglas Louise chops and changes, and I think Tyrone Ming's is staying. He's very committed to uh, the hairstyle. He's got the dread, the dreads, yeah. And it, it suits him like, to a T, whereas Douglas Louise is changing a lot. I mean, they, they all suit him, but Tyrone Ming's hair is Tyrone Ming's hair, man. And it's, uh, it's good
0: what about you Matt seeing as a a man that's follically challenged which, which one of those two would you like that
1: oh, I don't mind really do you remember you're probably too young do you remember those games with um do you remember those things where you used to get iron filings in a magnet and you could move the iron filings around to people's head and beards no uh, I don't recall alright okay I don't care, mate. I don't care. I'll, hair my hair hair is hair today, gone tomorrow. Move on, I don't want to talk about hair.
0: This questions from Ben. It's a food-related one and our last nonsense question of the episode, and then we'll get back to talking football. He says, there's three options here. You have to eat one of them every day for the rest of your life. You can eat one of them once a month, and then you can eat one of them never again. And it's Indian, Chinese or Italian.
2: So every day is Italian because it's a wide and varied, Agreed. varied cuisine. There's pizza and there's deli, so you can eat healthy, right? You can survive. You cannot die. Indian is the takeaway food, so we'll have that every often. China and I'm gonna say Chinese is the one I could do without when it's with
0: those two. Yeah, I agree. I'm, I'm. That's bang on. I do like a Chinese, no, but- and
2: it's not that. It's not that. I, don't, I will, I will fight. To the death for a Chinese, but if I'm thinking about the rest of my life, like I don't want to die. I don't want to die having just like loads of salt and pepper chips. <laughs> and, I mean, like you, you have noodles and stuff, but I'm thinking you can have pasta, so you, you kind of get that.
1: Yeah, I'm fine. I would tweak the order slightly. I would have Indian every day because I could survive solely on papadoms and <laughs> samosas. Uh, I would have Italian once a month. Uh, as a special treat and I'd order about 300 quid's worth from Domino's <laughs> and I'm not a, I'm not a massive fan of Chinese food you know it's a bit too um, the sweet and sour just it doesn't he doesn't it doesn't sit that well with me I don't I, I like a bit of yuck song but it's all it's all a bit kind of fragrant isn't it they all they just try try a bit I'm a plain man
0: I think this is a question that probably requires a bit of actual analysis and insight. So, James, I'm going to come to you for this one. (laughs) Because, (laughs) Matt, you're useless and I can't be bothered to answer it. He says, Is it true that Wesley and Heaton could not play in the running if they were fit as they were unregistered when they got injured? If this is true, it's a slight blunder.
2: There's There's been no update with the registration rules and Tom Heaton himself said it's probably unlikely he's going to be back. And the last we heard of Wesley, he said he was in pain passing the ball. So it's not happening is it? Heaton was probably the more realistic one but even when they're injured in january you're still looking at these injuries as being resolved in october and that 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 hasn't changed i mean they're coming back they're doing pitch you know they're, they're working with the football um, they're rehabilitating well um, but it's still it's just too far it's, these are serious injuries really serious injuries and The the context doesn't change that
0: Is there any particular youngsters that you'd like to see Smith include in the matchday squad considering the new substitutions rule that sees I think it's nine players on the bench now that you're allowed Uh, this is from John
1: I'd love to see Louis Barry just because there's such a buzz and an excitement around him Um, you know just for Ten minutes, a chase, chasing a game, or need need a little bit of invention and something different just to see see what he can do. Um, I think I said this. We did a and A last week, and I think I said it seems to be the, the done thing that it, it's easier to kind of uh, integrate strikers and attacking players. I think into relegation threatening te- threatened teams than it is defenders I mean I've heard a lot of good things about Mungo Bridge not just his name, name. Um, but I think it might be a bit you know with the stakes being so high you know at, at, at that end of the pitch it might be, might be a bit too much of a pressure situation even without a crowd there Uh well, yeah, it's probably the obvious answer, Louis Barry, but just to see, you know, if we can start really believing the hype.
2: Nine spots gives you such a big chance. And I'm, I mean, you can only make, you can make five changes, but still in free free periods. So there's a massive opportunity here for a youngster to come in and kick on, whether it's, you know, one of the Ramsey brothers, Louis Barry, Mungo Bridge, or even Vasilev, who kind of gets forgotten now because he's, jumped into that first team a little bit there's a massive opportunity and you know the situation exists that they will shine because there is a you know the, the pressure's there in a match situation but the atmosphere it's, it's like it for these like could be almost a training game coming in a really intense training game that they're coming into which I think Probably a good environment to bed them into.
0: Looking ahead to next season a little bit, whatever, whatever next season actually means at this point, do you think that the transfer policy will completely change for next season regardless of the league that we play in?
2: Uh, I hope it doesn't. Mate. There's been problems with it, right? Like, But there were always going to be problems. No matter who Villa bought, there was always going to be some issues um, embedding into the Premier League and adapting to a new level and trying to bring what they had in the championship up to the top tier. You know, If we go back down and we are to keep the same head coach... Then ripping up the policies that seem to be working, like evaluating different targets and bringing in the a not the not the player who's the cheapest, but the one who fits that general profile of a role would it would work for me? I mean, you're not going to probably get your Saied Ben Rama, um if we go down for sure, but I trust in Villa to kind of find that equivalent and dig deeper and bring them in if we could to go to the championship. So I'd rather that than say bring in Fellaini on a one year deal. You know what I
0: mean? Yeah, I think if you kind of start scrapping the uh, kind of the long-term vision after one one bad year, I think that's when you start to run into problems that we were seeing under kind of the Lambert era, if you if you like, that we kind of go, oh, we're going to go down this route and then it doesn't work. And you go, oh my God, we need to change it. We need Joe Cole and Philippe Senderos, and that doesn't work either. I think you, you kind of need to stick to your original plan, even if it is a bit ropey along along the way and, and hope that you kind of find the, the, the odd gem along the way and that that's enough to kind of keep, keep you going season on season
1: you'd think you'd think that the next season regardless of what level Villa are playing at they're not going to have to do the same amount of surgery that they did last season there's it, it, not quite so much of a, you're gambling you're right you might be gambling over three or four players rather than gambling over a dozen players uh, I think what I would like to see change is that as much as it was important last summer for Villa to, to build a squad because they were so thin on the ground given the amount of departures after the playoff win, ah, for, for too long now, certainly for the last couple of seasons, will have left themselves light, light in different departments. So, whereas the start of Bruce's last season that, that ended up being deemed to miss promotion season, there was a massive imbalance because they didn't have any any central defenders uh, really. Um, they stocked up massively on central defenders last last season and, 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 and de- uh, last summer, and, and defensive midfielders only had one one striker. I think it just needs to be, just. you know what I mean? They just need to, to make sure that they, they either trust their options that are coming through the youth or that they, that, that, that there's adequate cover in all areas, not yeah. that these seven players in one position and one player in another position. Uh, but I agree with you in the fact that, you know, it's a bit of a cliche, but the kind of young and hungry um, type that Villa, Villa signed last summer. I think they have to do that because there's been so many cases of, of Villa getting no value out of players, new managers have come in, players haven't been wanted by those managers and just been sitting on massive hefty contracts for three or four years and have been, been of no value to Villa. Villa either need to get the value of the player during the length of the contract by making sure they're heavily involved around the first team or they need to make sure that the players that they do sign so still have some sell on value if they if they can't, you know, don't make the grade at Villa
0: yeah nice um, tumbleweed following that no, we I was expecting a standing advantage I thought James went jumping but he didn't nah, so. last question sees us back to uh, the current season um, from Sean he says who starts against Sheffield United for Villa let me get a pen and paper just so uh, we don't lose track Nealand. In goal for me,
1: yeah, I agree. We said that Heathen's not not going to be back, and I think I think Pepe Reina um, was was running up the right wing last time I saw him. I'd go I'd go with Noland, Noyland, Nayland, whatever his name is
0: at right back. Freddie Gilbert,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so. I think so. brings brings that bit of energy.
0: Centre
2: defence, and it's got to be Mings and Engels. I, I can't. I I like Conson. I like Courtney Hawes, but. Mings and Engels throughout the season have done the best job together and individually I mean he slipped up against Tottenham but uh, bygones are bygones now and he's uh, you know in terms of our two senior pros at the back it's him and it's him and Mings
0: I'm going to come. Oh, no, I'm not. Well, I was going to say we'll come back to the midfield three because I think that's the hardest point, but we'll get it out of the way. McGinn. Well left
1: back, yeah? Uh, yeah, uh, just, him down. I'll uh, yeah. just assume Matt Target.
0: It's not going to be Neil Taylor, yeah, it's is Matt,
2: it? It's Matt Target, yeah.
0: Yeah, so we've got Neiland, Gilbert, Mings, Engels, and Target so far. Midfield, obviously, John McGinn comes straight back in. First name on the team sheet. Who plays alongside him? We've got two options so you've got two other positions to fill.
2: I would say that Nakamba has to have one of those positions because he's probably the only actual defensive midfielder out of all of the players we've got who are called defensive midfielders.
0: Do you think you can play Nakamba and Douglas Deweys in the same side?
2: I don't know, but that's why you need drink. That's why you go back to the earlier question. You need drink water to kick on. I don't think
0: drink water will play for us.
2: Nakamba Nakamba needs drink water to do well. And then Douglas Louise and John McGinn can handle rotation and the others and do their job. But Nakamba needs that playmaker. And Danny Drinkwater is that playmaker
1: and he needs to step up to that level. Can I throw a curveball? Can we not bring Jack back inside?
0: Nakamba, John McGinn and Jack Grealish. But I was going to say Nakamba, McGinn, Harahan and Grealish on the left. But when you're talking to me about Danny Drinkwater is the playmaker that Nakamba needs, I'm thinking, well, Conor Harahan is surely a better option than Danny Drinkwater it's
2: a complete toss up man it it really is um Jinquar should be at a better level. We brought him in to do a do a really good job and he hasn't. He should be better than Harahan.
0: You're, so if you bring Jack in the middle, who plays left wing then that?
1: Well that's that's the thing it? It's whether you trust two wingers to play. If you've got two flaky wingers, do you trust both of them having had a three month break to to lead the line up front with with Samata? If you don't, then the midfield from if you're saying that Jack stays wide left and the midfield for me would be this it would be Nakamba, McGinn and Hourahan, I think. Um, and then, I don't know, are you comfortable with that otherwise? There's a
0: possible argument you just put Louise in there as well and you, you don't have him so defensive.
2: My argument there is putting Harahan in for the first game isn't condemning Louise because you put Harahan in just to get that lucky free kick. That's it. Like, that is the difference maker in that first game for me. And that's not saying Louise is bad. Nine times out of ten, I'd put Louise in over Harahan. But in this first game... Villa might need little every little kind of opportunity and that's someone's better at free kicks and someone's
1: better at free kicks and that's Conor Harahan well, let's do that then for the first game let's put Conor Harahan in ahead of Douglas Louise, A because we know that he has this first game back factor where he normally does well first yeah. game back <laughs> um, and then we'll drop him when he's played well for the next game um, and because like you say it's those fine lines isn't it if he's the one who's delivering that free kick or um you know that cross that that for for, for the winning goal. Then do it like that. That would mean that we've got a front three of I think it picks itself, doesn't it? Or is there any debate over Trezeguet versus um, El Ghazi? I think I stick with the guy
2: that we pick, and that's that's El Ghazi because if we're saying he should be the one who excels in these conditions. And he has to be the one who starts, I think. And I, I like Tretico. I think he, he works hard, but nothing ever seems to go right for him.
1: Well, mate, he's earning a couple of million pounds a year for Master Villa. I wouldn't feel too sorry for him.
0: I wonder whether... We started the episode talking about the, what Villa could actually have done during lockdown in terms of you know squad cohesion and, and actual kind of tactics playing together when they've only been in training for, I don't know, three weeks or whatever it is. I wonder whether that kind of the extra time that the coaching staff have had in terms of analysis will have offered any different insights from them in in regards to who they pick, that usually you're assessing the squad game by game and you've got this body of of matches played that you can look back on, but you've only got a week to make any decisions before your next game rolls around and then that next game impacts the following and the following. I wonder whether having three months of nothing has, had, has given them opportunity to look back on the season so far and, and decide that oh actually we can make this tweak or we could try this
1: yeah I actually think Dan I think they could have poured through White scout in vast detail in the last three months I think more of an influence would be who looks at it who's looked at it in training who's looked at it in the pre-season yeah. games let's go from there because you know what I mean it's, it's all very well kind of going back over the analysis of game the world was a different place back then I think like we've said before we've got to treat this as a mini season who looks sharp enough who looks who looks like they've got the energy who looks like they're up for it uh, I think that'll be 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 more of a factor and I actually think those three months will have been we've kind of talked about these Zoom kind of appraisals that, that we know Dean Smith did with his players when everybody's going to lockdown. I think they'll have used those more to iron out mistakes and show show, show individual certain situations than they will have okay, let's move him completely (laughs) to a different position. I think it, I think it would be done like Mm. that. Um, Can I just do a little bit of housekeeping, which I don't feel that I'm, I'm not feeling felt inclined to do when we've had Paul Faulkner or Mark or Brighton or or whoever on the other end of the, of the phone. Yeah. Um, We are going to start doing question answers, live blogs around matches and around topics for Villa that it's a new platform that we are using, so we're going to advertise that heavily around our YouTube channel, around, uh, our social media channels uh, and on on Birmingham Live. So it's interactive. So you can get involved. You can join the debate. You can ask questions, um, and we can just have a jolly good natter on there. Um, the other thing is we're going we're looking at launching a Claret and Blue newsletter, which you can sign up for by uh, email. That's going to come out once a week, which you're going to be showcasing the best of what we've got to offer uh, on the podcast, on the YouTube channel, uh, and some of our written content as well. On Birmingham Live, we would like you to say nice things about us, we'd like you to follow our new Claret and Blue Twitter account and leave positive reviews on iTunes and on YouTube and all the other podcast platforms so just wanted to say a big thank you to those, who, those of you who stuck with us through these weird times uh, hopefully you've enjoyed some of the different content that we've done with the player interviews and stuff like that and even though, even though football's back we're still going to try and bring you as much of that as possible Um Does that that wrap it all up then?
0: Yeah, sound. Saves me a job. (laughs) Happy days.
1: (laughs) Thank you for listening to Claret and Blue, an Aston Villa podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, then please let us know. We love hearing your feedback. We'll be back soon with another episode. Until then, up the Villa.